6: Hello and welcome my name is Roy Phil Brown this is Mid-Atlantic the show where we look at the news and the views from one side Atlantic from the perspective of the other. Today on Saturday July the 30th I find myself in my home city my hometown of Birmingham which is now the center of if not the world definitely of the Commonwealth nations because the Commonwealth Games this uh annual event well annual event this event which happens every four years is taking place in my hometown what is the commonwealth what is the future of the commonwealth what is britain's place in the commonwealth these are things which we're going to discuss today today i have with me paul dudridge pundit sage an all round clever person even though slightly to the right of Attila Hunt, Attila the Hunt, he, he's with us from Los Angeles, but originates from Wales, I believe. Your hometown is Cardiff Pool.
7: Yes, it is. Why? What, what, what are you trying to imply? No, 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 no.
6: It's just that when it comes to the Commonwealth Games, Wales is not part of the United Kingdom, and it uh, it competes by itself, just making sure that you have the proper credentials to be on this stage, sir. And then across the river, what's the river between Wales and England, David? The River Severn. Sab- Right. Oh, yeah, OK, right, right. I'm just checking, checking that we all know our geography here. That's just a, qu- a quick quiz question for you. So across the River Severn, we have David Crowther and you're in Oxfordshire and you're going to be representing England. Is in that this right? Conversation. I didn't realise I, do believe I was a sir.
1: rep in that sense.
6: Well, you know what? It's as good a title as any. So the Commonwealth is an association of some 54 countries. But is it relevant now? But first off, what exactly is the Commonwealth.
4: The Commonwealth is one of the world's oldest political associations. It's made up of 53 states across six continents, previously ruled by the British Empire in the 19th and 20th centuries. It has a total population of 2.4 billion people and includes countries like Canada, Australia, Nigeria, India and much of the Caribbean. Three nations Cameroon, Mozambique and Rwanda even joined despite having never been in the British Empire. Membership is voluntary and based on a shared commitment to values, including liberty, human rights, trade, and good governance. The Commonwealth Games, a sort of mini Olympics, also takes place every four years. But there are questions about the relevance of this organization. Its colonial history continues to cause problems, particularly when it comes to anti-LGBT laws, still enforced in 37 member countries brexiteers are adamant that the commonwealth will take on a greater importance they're promising new trade deals and having taken back control of borders even swapping eu for commonwealth migration vincent Macavini, euronews london
6: paul i'm going to come to you simple question it's utterly no right and wrong here but what does the commonwealth mean to you i
7: think your, your man just summed it up really it is just a it's a, a nice political association it's just a it's just a club it's just a, a club association of countries i don't think it's anything too taxing or onerous or it doesn't require seemingly a great deal of responsibility on anybody's party to be a member or not to be a member i i, I actually like i like its model as you know, far from is it is it still relevant? I actually think it's a good model ongoing for Brexiteers like me. I think this is kind of the the level of association we'd like amongst nations.
6: David Crowther, you have the podcast, the history of of England, and I know listening to it, you're doing this magisterial sweep of English history you're not quite up to the commonwealth that we're talking about but you're almost up to the republican commonwealth what does the commonwealth mean to you sir
1: i have to say it's never really meant anything to me it's quite interesting the commonwealth games i don't think i've seen more than five minutes of it would have meant a lot to my mother and her generation it's never meant anything to me actually so it's actually quite an interesting question to have to consider is it relevant and why is it relevant
6: do you believe, David, that with the with the realization with the new reality, sorry, that Britain is has Brexited, that this potentially in terms of at least Britain could breathe some new life into our role in this organization. We have to find a role for ourselves. Brexiteers did talk about global Britain. One of the kind of surprising stats that come out of the Commonwealth is that in terms of trade, tariffs are generally on average 19% lower between Commonwealth countries. So it does actually foster increased trade, even though that is not extensively a reason for being part of the association. So maybe there is new relevancy because of that referendum in 2016.
1: So I don't mean to be negative about the Commonwealth in particular, I'm sounding a bit uh, neggy. but before I say anything positive, I'd say Brexit hasn't changed the importance of our relationship with Europe, and nor will it ever. It's still our largest trading bloc. We are. We have a shared history with, with Europe. So although we're no longer part of that project, and I regret that personally a lot, well, we're not, but we're still going to have to get on with them, And they're still going to be our what our most important relationship, I would argue. So I don't think that changes. So the question really is whether the Commonwealth of itself has got value and is going to add something different. And it seems to me that the obvious elephant in the room, if there is an elephant, is its its roots. Once upon a time, empire discussed might have been a positive concept and uh, people might have bought into it, uh, rightly or wrongly. They increasingly won't. And whatever you do, it's always going to be there. It's going to, what is the Commonwealth? It is always going to include the British empire. You can change the structure and all the rest of it. And we'll probably talk about that, but what do you do about that? It's always there and it's presumably going to become more a more negative association as time goes by.
6: Well, let's take a little walk down history lane and let's talk about, and let's listen to some of that history.
8: For the first time since his illness five months ago, the king attends an official function. The occasion is a luncheon in honour of the visiting Commonwealth statesman. By a happy coincidence, it is held on Princess Elizabeth's 23rd birthday. In addition to goodwill messages from all over the world, the princess receives the personal congratulations from the Dominion leaders. Spotlighting them one by one, here is Senator Senadlieki, Lester Pearson from Canada, Lakayat Ali Khan, Pakistan. Next to Mr. Attlee, Australia's Joseph Chifley, Dr. Mallon from South Africa, New Zealand's Peter Fraser, and India's Pandit Nehru. They meet to bring the unwritten constitution of the Commonwealth into line with modern concepts. Their decisions can show the world that 400 million people of many races, colours and religions can live united in one family.
6: There's a real kind of sense back then that this was a family of nations and 1949 is significant because the commonwealth has has changed from being the british commonwealth or the british empire with the white dominions and we now have pakistan india and sri lanka though they called it ceylon back then Paul is david's assertion right that regardless of the association in the future is going to be encumbered by this imperialistic, dare I say, white past. I and mean, we just can't move away from that.
7: Well, again, I, I, I don't know if I, if David said encumbered. If he, if he did, I just think that's slightly pejorative. It's definitely going to be part of its history. I'm a big fan of the British Empire and what it achieved worldwide. And then same with the Roman Empire and same, you know, with the U.S. Empire. Now, I, I sort of just think that they are the, the necessitated by history, the growth of empires. They're inevitable, shall we say. So I don't accept that they're, they're encumbered. I just think that they are a byproduct of that history and all the better for it. Again, it's interesting hearing somebody, the that newsreel clip you played from whatever decade it was and... You know, he was actually, do you know what year that was from, that clip you did, that final newsreel clip N- you played?
6: 1949.
7: 1949. And you have, I am assuming, a white male British BBC representative talking about bringing together many races and ethnicities and countries under one. I just think, okay, that's that's a you know, that ideal has been kicking around for a a long time. You know, we do like to think we've just invented that kind of kumbaya on us. But it's nice to hear that it was actually part of the intention decades ago. We're nothing special. So, yeah, I like the British Empire and I I like, you know, future empires are inevitable. And, you know, the the idea of, for me, blaming one and celebrating another is, is just, I think, a bit sort of naive.
6: Well, it has has to be said, David, I want to come to you and then we're going to go to Piotr who's just joined us on stage, that one of the kind of stunning things about the Commonwealth is the fact that it is this voluntary association and most countries that enter the Commonwealth are still part of it now. And also that, and here is the, the truly stunning thing, Mozambique, Rwanda and Cameroon, who were never ruled by Britain, have freely decided to join. So, what are they getting out of it if it's, if it's just an association which is encumbered by this dreadful British imperial past? Why would countries choose to join the Commonwealth?
1: Well, it's quite interesting actually that I see the, the, the Gabon and Togo joined last year. They were, and one is Francophone and one was an ex German colony, so which, was, which is interesting and then got me thinking about that. I mean, personally, I think you'd have to find a way of trying to. Park the British Empire, and so I understand what Paul means, and I certainly agree with Paul's view about you know demonising the British Empire over any other empire. But nonetheless, the idea of colonisation is no longer a positive one. So I think you have to try and find a way to park that. And personally, I think you know you have to try and look at the organisation and the leadership. But let's say you can do that, then there are some positives. So a international organizations which are based around a different set of relationships than local and regional ones or i don't know religious ones or whatever it might be which are cross-cultural i think are very important and i think that's true of us as a nation and different nations and between nations because you have to find ways of bringing people together so anything which brings people together across a broad range i think is useful the second thing i think the The biggest thing that actually in a way the commonwealth has got going for it is the english english language that that is a very powerful force in bringing countries together because it is the world's language now and i don't think that's going to change so there is something in that somehow a connection across which is you know non-national non-regional fully international the thing exists so you don't have to invent it there is a relationship that gives some countries a voice on the world stage that they wouldn't necessarily have through the UN or have a smaller voice. So it does have some things going for it. I am forced to admit, Mr. Curzon. Yeah, w-
7: yeah um, if you were trying to get everybody up here today to have a fight, you might as well just take your ball home now. We all we're all reasonable and agree. Oh, listen, I I don't want to fight about this
6: because (laughs) I I think I actually quite like the association. Why'd you even invite me then?
7: You only ever bring me in so people can like throw bricks at me.
6: Paul, absolutely not, sir. You provide intellectual heft from time to time. Sometimes a little bit of comedy, but every every now and then, you know, the odd little bit of intellectual heft. But moving on, Piotr Curzon, we live in a multipolar world. America as the hegemon isn't what it used to be. We have the rising power of China. Russia is struggling to find its place in this new world order. What says you about the Commonwealth? Can we have this loose association of some 54 countries, of which at the heart of it is civic governance, laws about democracy and, and free trade? Will it have a place in, let's say, the mid 21st century?
5: Well, you set me up, as always, so kindly, Royfield. You know, to the. Paul's points. I'm actually inclined to agree to a certain extent with both. The uh, the Commonwealth is something that is based on, you know, un- unfortunately, a pretty dark past, well, incredibly dark and, and, and unpleasant reality. But In its form as it stands, it is a very, I think, constructive force. The Commonwealth gains, the sharing of cultures, of economy, the push for democracy, albeit in different interpretations, perhaps, I think is a very powerful force and when we are in this new multipolarity middle powers or upper middle powers like the united kingdom france and so on for the uk to to still have this sort of way to influence countries through soft power is 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 going to be very welcomed by them and clearly there's something appealing about the commonwealth because not only have we had uh, several countries join recently but we also have somaliland which is not technically a country but it's still a, a sizable chunk of somalia we've got south sudan we've got suriname we've got burundi and zimbabwe which have all applied in the past 10 or so years to join so, quite clearly, there's something here that is appealing to develop, developing countries to the global. Now, again, it's I think we have to keep in mind that countries are free to come and go as well. And in a, in a world where we are seeing this growing threat of autocracy, countries, I would disagree with you that China is rising. I think it has risen, but it is it is fleeting a little bit. Yeah, it, it's, it's, still got
6: a, it's still got a way to rise, though. It, it, hasn't, has, risen, has it. it hasn't risen, has it? It hasn't risen. I think well, I think my tense was correct there. It's well, still rising. Got a way to go. Maybe. In some ways. But the point being is that China doesn't
5: have a collective system like the US does with its alliance network. And the UK's, you could argue, is the is the Commonwealth. Again, it's built on pretty not, you know, unpleasant backgrounds, but as it stands modern day, uh it's 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 a it is a pretty powerful, you know, entity. And when Brexit was happening. Before I realised just how much Brexit would be, you know, you know, uh, well, I'm I'm not I'm not pro Brexit. I was one who felt that the UK should be have a looser relationship with the EU and have a deeper relationship with other Commonwealth countries. Now, obviously, the situation is completely different, but it still does op- offer the UK an opportunity to have a really good relationship with predominantly countries of South Asia and and uh, South and East Africa, which is where we're going to see the biggest amount of development. Um, Nigeria is, what, going to be an, an, an energy and largely speaking a superpower of Africa in uh, decades to come. And the UK having a, a unique relationship with them. Like France doesn't have a Commonwealth system. And France's, you know, military engagement in the West of Africa, for example, in Sahel, has been, large, you know, criticized and seen as a neo-form neo of colonialism, which, whether or not you interpret it like that. But the point is that Britain does have a, a foothold in a way that France doesn't. And even Spain doesn't in Latin America in certain ways. So I think that the, for, uh, the Commonwealth, utilised correctly, it could be of great benefit to the UK specifically, but also all the countries that are a part of it. And I, and I think we see that from the uh, from the uh, from the comments around it. And 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 they do act as a way. It does act as a way for the other countries to raise issues on the UN. And again, we could talk about UN structures and reformation, but generally speaking, the UK can then have a way in influencing and bringing these issues to the table as a P5 member. So I largely, you know, I, am I'm I'm on, I'm on the side of the Commonwealth. I don't see getting rid of it is any worth, you know, it was interesting when Barbados decided to remove the Queen as head of state. That's fair enough. I understand that, but they don't want to leave the Commonwealth. And why would they? It's, it's, you know, emphasizing good governments, equality before law, free trade, multilateralism. So yeah, I think it's going to play a very important role for the UK as it tries to find itself in the 21st century, but also as a strong upholder of certain values and norms, which, you know, many developing countries thinking, you know, tossing, top, grappling with in terms of do they want to be democracies, authoritarian regimes, hybrid, whatever it is. And the Commonwealth can help to maybe encourage more of them to adopt more democratic values. Well, that's just my piece for the time being.
6: Thank you for that, Mr. K. I, I do think this whole whole notion of why countries want to be part of the Commonwealth is something which we we should really talk about and, and, and kind of investigate further. But first off, we do have a few new people on stage. Giacomo, welcome, sir. Hello, I know my that friend. Sp- Hello.
9: Good to see you.
6: Uh, good to see you too. I know you've spent time in London, um, which isn't the capital of the commonwealth but it's definitely a city which helped form the commonwealth what what says to you about the commonwealth when i say to you the commonwealth of nations what's
9: the first thing that comes to mind many good things come to mind and by the way i spent my formative years in england i lived in england from the age of 14 till the age of 18 after which i left to the german-speaking part of switzerland but what i also never told anyone is that I have a British family and they were, they were Britons and they were also, I'm afraid, aristocracy. But that's another story altogether. But the past is dead. Okay. Piotr mentioned, he said the Commonwealth might have had a dark past perhaps, but who and what did not have a dark past throughout history. What I think Commonwealth, when I think queen and country, I only see good things and I look at the future, I only see harmony. I only see good relations and being beneficial, nations and societies being beneficial to one another. Because when we look at the British monarchy today, and for the last century or even more, it's a constitutional monarchy. It's only doing good. Otherwise, the people of Britain, of Great Britain, would have gotten rid of it long time ago. And as a republic, Great Britain would not be the same. We all know it. So I want the Commonwealth to continue. And the Commonwealth is when people from India have something very strong in common with people, say, in Barbados and with, in, with people in Kenya and in many other places. And they have at the head this wonderful monarch who reigned longer than queen victoria queen elizabeth ii so for me the commonwealth is only good and i want it to continue i'm not looking at the past i'm not looking even at the present i'm looking at the future and in a post brexit britain if britain wants to reclaim its rightful place as a leader among nations as an example to look forward to in various different continents around the world, be it Africa, be it Asia, be it the Americas, the Commonwealth is a great symbol of that. And with that, I'll let the stage to others. Thank you.
3: Prime Minister Muscat, Prime Minister May, Secretary General, ladies and gentlemen, having on so many occasions been welcomed to opening ceremonies around the commonwealth it is a pleasure this time to welcome you to my own home here at buckingham palace in 1949 my father met the heads of government when they ratified the london declaration which created the commonwealth as we know it today then comprising just eight nations who then or in 1952, when I became head of the Commonwealth, would have guessed that a gathering of its member states would one day number 53, or that it would comprise 2.4 billion people. Put simply, we are one of the world's great convening powers, a global association of volunteers who believe in the tangible benefits ...that flow from exchanging ideas and experiences... ...and respecting each other's point of view. And we seem to be growing stronger year by year.
6: That was Queen Elizabeth opening, I think, it was the last Chogum, ...so the last Commonwealth Heads of Government conference... ...not the one that just happened in Rwanda... ...because she was, dare I say, she was too frail actually to attend. But she did make the point at the end... ...that we seem to be getting stronger... And I've said it a couple of times, I'm going to say this again, that Rwanda, a country which was never part of the British Empire, it was formerly colonized by by Germany, then Belgium. Part of its healing process to to, to, to bring Hutsi and Tutsi together and to regain its place in the pantheon of nations was actually to join the commonwealth. And it's not as if the Commonwealth is going out proselytizing, trying to get countries to join. But as 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 Piotr has actually said, there is, there are a line of countries that want to join. South Sudan be, being one of them, that see that there is benefit of being part of this association. Shashank, welcome, sir. You're in London. Why do you think these countries that weren't even ever part of the British Empire do want to join And then also tell us, when I say the Commonwealth to you, what's the first thing that you think?
0: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door.
10: Good to be here. I am actually right now in Washington DC traveling. I've missed few first few minutes of conversation, so I didn't hear anything what Paul, David, or Peter would have said, or you would have said, but in my context, the way that I see it is that humans always want association with each other and collaboration with each other to avoid the past thousand years of animosity toward between nations and cultures and people. And one of the pointed ways that it works is if there is a political alliance or economic alliances, then that achieves that. Instead of having wars, we exchange, and you just played the Queen's address to one of the chogams, where she mentioned about exchange of ideas and exchange of experiences. And this exchange of ideas and experiences has, is timeless. It always, always fosters collaboration, coordination and less wars. And in that context, I do not see around anywhere in the world, any union, loosened union or association that does bind two and a half billion, three billion people together. So from that context, the Commonwealth is not itself self by date, but yes, the context of where it started with the colonial empire and everything else, et cetera, of course, that is no longer relevant because that empire doesn't exist. So people who live with that historic peace and they think somehow it gives an extra power to Britain in certain shape or form, that no longer exists. But the nations that want to join the Commonwealth is because they do understand the exchange of ideas and experiences and knowledge does strengthen everybody. And it's not one-way traffic, it's a two-way traffic for every nation on planet Earth. So from that context, I think that's the reason why everybody, or like, the nations who are interested in it and have association with the former British empire, that empire piece is gone, but they wanted to exchange ideas and science and education and development and politics and technology. And that's why it's still relevant, I think.
6: I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. There's a document in 1971, which is probably the high point of the political kind of activism of the of the commonwealth so in 1971 there's a declaration of commonwealth principles and the principles are thus that we support international peace and understanding have equal rights for all citizens remove po- poverty ignorance and disease these are principles which i think just about anybody can can get behind but that came about in 1971 because we have apartheid south Africa south Africa has has left the Commonwealth because of the new black African nations which have now joined, and their position was totally incongruous to this multiracial body so South Africa leaves before it's kicked out and in nineteen seventy one after back of South Africa leaving, the Commonwealth needs to have a direction, and it says again, we're going to support international peace and understanding. Equal rights for all citizens. That's important. That is pointing a finger at South Africa. We're going to try and remove poverty, ignorance and disease. And one of the kind of key things that the Commonwealth tries to do through the Secretariat of the foundation the Commonwealth of Learning and the Games Federation is to support civil society, civil society in all member states, promoting learning, whether it's distance learning and education and sport. And it seems to me that maybe the. The Commonwealth has breathed new life into itself, actually by the display that we had by Tom Daly walking into the arena at Alexander Park in Birmingham with that rainbow gay flag. Some 37 nations of the Commonwealth still have anti-LGBTQ+ laws. Is there any other way anybody feel to un- unmute now of which we can see that the Commonwealth can not just be a passive organisation but maybe be an active organisation in extolling civil rights and civil access and equality throughout member nations?
1: It would seem to me that you know that in a sense there's an obvious yes but the question is is it relevant? So it's a nice thing obviously that's great but it will only have force if the Commonwealth can be relevant. So is there a real raison d'etre to it? Or is it just a nice talking shop? And that maybe has some value, I guess, from what people have said. And Bella's comments are very interesting. But what is it that would make people want to be active about it? So for example, as I understand it, India is still part of the Commonwealth, but doesn't really send many delegates to any of the meetings, because it's not—it's you know it's not particularly important. So how do you make it a genuine driver of change rather than just you know a nice thing to have
5: yeah so i think it's there's a there's an interesting dichotomy here i think because britain only what legalized gay marriage about 10 12 years ago and up until that time you know chemical castration and all these things it was it was abhorrent what they did to you know so many homosexual communities and the uk has come a long way in 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 areas like that but the thing is when you're trying to and we were having this discussion in other you know, areas like British exceptionalism, right, American British exceptionalism, and this is where it can get tricky, because if you try as the British I don't know, government, the British Council is quite an important entity and all this sort of thing to promote certain norms and values in other countries, which are still whether or not they are democracies, because that's, you know, they've developed it, it, it could backfire. In, in, in specifically in the role of the UK in trying to sort of improve its international standing and reputation, right? Or to be seen as a as a country that is moving away from its colonialist past as best as it can. Not that it ever will really be able to. But if it is seen to be or perceived to be trying to say to other countries, hey, look, guys, you should legalize same-sex marriage. You should... Uh, remove certain, I don't know, laws or prejudices against women in the workplace or something like that, gender equality, all that sort of uh, social and progression. Some countries, some communities could see that as a a new form of neocolonialism or something. The British, again, trying to tell countries in the Commonwealth, how they should and shouldn't govern them, and so it could be it could be a detriment. The UK has to go about it, I think, quite not just the UK, but you know any country that has been on that sort of positioning has to be sensitive with the way that it goes about, because otherwise it could be mis- misconstrued. But I do think that the Commonwealth, in essence, can play a very important role through cultural diplomacy, public diplomacy, soft power, as we mentioned before, but even smart power, the use of hard you know hard power as a way to help countries bolster their I don't know their defensive lines against. Uh, countries as they perhaps, you know, there's tension over a border or something like that. Like Kenya has been quite close with the British. If you look at the Security Council in the past year since they joined, Kenya has been working quite well and quite constructively with the British over the Ethiopian file and and the Tigrayan conflict. So, you know, and they definitely see that intensified or, or whatever, consolidated through the Commonwealth.
6: So... Thank you for that, Piota. And and I would admit that the more I, I'm starting to, to, to lean into this and actually read off about the Commonwealth, I think this this loose association of nations actually does wield some level of real influence with, with genuine outcomes. And I did mention this really re at the start. I'm going to read this out again. So bilateral costs for trading partners in Commonwealth countries are on average 19% less than those of non-member countries. This is a real economic advantage of being a member actually of the Commonwealth. has just given us one where the Kenyans are actually working with the British in terms of looking at Ethiopia and 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 that civil war there in in Tigray. And and it's because those those officials actually have another forum where they get to know each other so that they can actually cooperate well, together. I, the one thing which is slightly worrying about our conversation is we, we, we seem to be framing this as this is a way in which Britain can maintain its influence throughout the world. And it is the Commonwealth, not the British Commonwealth. And I think, hence, I keep asking the question why do other countries want to join? Why are they still part of it? Because if Nigeria wants to leave tomorrow, it can leave and no one's going to stop it leaving but it hasn't in some 60 years plus of independence. I'll just use Nigeria as an example. Jamaica being another one. It might remove the Queen from being its head of state, but it's not going to leave the Commonwealth. That's without question. It's not going to leave. So these countries obviously do feel like they're getting something from it, away from Britain's need to redefine itself after Brexit. Cheryl, welcome. I believe you're from Singapore, aren't you?
11: Hi, Roy Field. So nice to connect here again. Yes, I'm Singaporean. I live in San Francisco. I mean, just a couple of thoughts about, you know, just the various things that have been discussed. For one, I think the what you just mentioned, Roy Field, we we are subconsciously and unconsciously returning to the glory of the empire. And like, even if we say that it's no longer like the British Commonwealth, it is just a commonwealth. We are subconsciously and unconsciously returning to that. And, you know, there's many post-colonial psychologists that have talked about this kind of psychology. It still exists. And so I, I think, you know, it, it's, it's present, you know, even the idea of 377, you know, the anti-gay laws that were set by colonial powers, I mean, any kind of stepping in leads to, you know, an an increase in fragmentation around different factions, right? Which is what was mentioned earlier. And so, I mean, as much as we try to say, you Cheryl, know, move forward. Uh,
1: I,
6: I I really want to to make your point, but uh, tell us what exactly what three seven seven is, because I must mean I don't know, oh, so I'm sure there's okay. other people that don't.
11: So, so the anti-gay law that was set by the you know colonial powers back in the day was, I believe, specifically across the colonies to manage gay prostitution back in the day. The soldiers around the colonies would, would sort of hire prostitutes, and it was same-sex sort of prostitution. At the, and I think that law was specifically to manage that. So even though Britain has removed that law, you know, countries like India just removed it, Singapore still holds on to it, Malaysia does, and I believe some of the countries in the African continent still have 377. So it's, it's sort of stuff like that, you know, like... You know, even though we say we are the commonwealth, I think it does need some kind of revamping because our our post-colonial psychology keeps returning to the empire. It, you know, it takes generations to heal from colonialism. It doesn't just end just because colonialism ends. I think it takes generations to truly define a new identity. And I don't think a lot of our countries are there yet. So I, I think um, I agree with some of the pragmatic reasons why our countries should continue to be associated sharing science sharing economic type fa- you know kind of favors and things but i think revamping it all together somehow just kind of symbolically at least shifting away from its history a lot more and, and redefining who we are i think will be a necessary thing if we really want this thing to work and not have this subconscious kind of post colonial thing keep coming back i think we we really do need to revamp and have some kind of new identity moving forward
5: I think it's going to be incredibly difficult to disassociate the origins of the Commonwealth from the British Empire. And unless we want to completely dissolve and reconstruct something else, which is based around, you know, more equal basis, which I don't think would ever remain fully equal because everything has naturally develops a hierarchy, if you think about it. It's going to be impossible. I mean, at the end of the day, this is the thing that was created by the UK. So it's going to be incredibly difficult to sort of then say, well, the UK is not really the the, the underlying driver of
6: it. Maybe in a, you know, many hundreds but, but, of years. But, but, but Piotr, I don't I, see it possible. I, I, I'm going to disagree with you respectfully here, because I think that with the passing of the current head of the Commonwealth, Queen Elizabeth II, it's at best it's 50/50 that charles will actually become the head of the commonwealth going forward it's actually not written into any statute of the commonwealth that the head of state of britain actually is the head of the commonwealth it actually isn't it, it surprised me it, it it was just taken as a given and i think him not being the next head of the commonwealth would be a very powerful symbolic break with britain being let's say the first amongst equals in terms of the commonwealth and i think it's very and the british government at least since the early 1970s has really just let the commonwealth drift because we were enmeshed in with the the european economic community that we saw that for all of the cheap butter we can we can get from new zealand or cheap lamb and whatever Fundamentally, as David Crowther said at the start of this, Europe is actually still, Europe is our largest trading partner. However, Britain now does have a reason to, let's say, engage a little bit more with this association of 54 countries, of which I would less say that Britain is the centre of it, but the English language most definitely is. N, welcome to the stage. Hello. First off, tell us, are you either a Commonwealth citizen or are you sat in a Commonwealth country? So right now,
12: I'm I'm in Hong Kong. I'm holding a British national overseas passport. It's not exactly a British passport, but it's a colonial legacy. Essentially, I I don't have the rights of a Brit. But yeah, somehow I hold a British passport. Well yeah. you
6: have you, you you are welcome on this stage, sir, and you have as more right than, than most in this room <laughs> to be talking about yeah. the legacy of the Commonwealth. So Hong Kong is not now part of the Commonwealth, but there still are colonial That's right. ramifications yeah. and legacies of which you've just explained one. You have yeah. uh, a passport. Yeah. So when we when we talk about the Commonwealth, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? What does the Commonwealth mean to you? So yeah,
12: I was born in Hong Kong probably like, yeah, 30,
6: 35 years ago. Yeah, it was a
12: colony back then. And as you guys probably know, Hong Kong was returned to China in 1997. And there is a big debate going on before and after 1997, you know, whether people in Hong Kong should become part of the Commonwealth or become British citizens. So, yeah, I, I think ultimately, you know, Hong Kongers have no right to, 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 to become a Brit and yeah i think as you guys know back in 2019 uh, there was a big crackdown you know by china in hong kong trampling on on individual rights implementing really draconian security law and starting from 2021 i believe you know britain the uk you know roll out a bno scheme essentially allowing people who were born before 1997 you know during the colonial era to be able to come to uk you know sort of like a lifeboat yeah so that that's what it means to me you know i'll actually come to the uk because of that you know like the ukrainians
6: do you believe that britain post the handover or the return of china of hong kong and the new territories should have been a larger voice for democracy in hong kong
12: yeah definitely i think yeah the, our last governor chris Patton, you know wrote many books on it you know they i think he wrote a a new book recently hong kong diaries you know about how you know sort of the uk let down people in hong kong you know the uk ruled hong kong for 100 years i think some of the chinese will say oh it's sort of a colonial humiliation but for the people in hong kong you know they 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 started in hong kong under colonial rule you know since that you know we we have the same education we have the same legal system so yeah, I think to a certain extent, you know, the UK back then, I think, failed to fulfill the moral responsibility or the moral obligations. So I guess for me, strangely, you know, Hong Kong is an exception of UK's colonial rule. You know, Hong Kong thrived back then and probably now, but not, not to the full extent. So, yeah, you know, to me, the Commonwealth is sort of like a beacon of democracy, you know, beacon of freedom. I think the Africans or the Indians may not agree with me, you know, but, you know, that's just my perspective, I guess. Yeah. Well,
6: your perspective is incredibly valid and you, you qualify it by saying that you're actually from from Hong Kong. But first I'm going to go to Paul Dudridge because, Paul, I know you've been itching to jump in. So we're going to go Paul, then we're going to go to, do, to Giacomo.
7: I just wanted to ramble through as quickly as possible some boring points because there was no conflict earlier, but weirdly... I always like to argue with Roy Field. I'm actually anti-monarchy. See, this is the weird thing. It's like exactly the re- reverse of what you were suggesting. I'm anti the monarchy in the UK, but very pro-empire and colonialism. If basically there's a lot of tone around this subject, like if you basically lost out to an expanding empire, somehow that you nursed that grievance forever and an injustice was done, it's like you could have fought back. You could have won. You didn't, you know? We don't complain about the Roman Empire. We don't complain about the Normans invading or the Vikings or whatever. Everybody has a go. That most of the countries that are actually in the Commonwealth at some point would have. So
6: you believe in geopolitical Darwinism uh, and and that might is right, whatever.
7: Hundred percent, which is what I was going to come to. So the, the the whole thing about you know we do sort of nurse our our, our credentials, our, our virtue, and we them by our. We don't really give a monkeys about human rights, et cetera. It's kind of nonsense that, you know, you can see how we behave. We wouldn't deal with Saudi Arabia if we did. The, re- the, the whole thing is always it's the economy stupid. And the fact is that the Commonwealth has got 2.5 billion people in it. And they are rejoining or countries are coming to join the Commonwealth again because it's more than the EU. We left the customs union. We can now import tariff free their produce, and we can now sell to 2.5 billion people, but we can import. And that's the thing, we have one of the reserve currencies on earth, and we can actually buy. And so if the EU want to make our purchases difficult with them, there are people queuing up around the world, actual produce countries, which many of these are famously all the stuff with the, the the coffee beans going to Germany and then African countries being ripped off by them. We can actually buy direct without the onerous customs union tariffs. So that's at the heart of everything. It's always the economy. It's always might is right. And I was going to say the same thing with Hong Kong. I mean, Hong Kong, we leased it. We had to give it back. If we hadn't have given it back, there would have been a war. We leased it from an empirical country. And then that was taken over by communism. But it was still China. You know, we did actually on a a 100-year lease, and it's just like anything else would have been madness. We do comfort ourselves, I think, too much in the West, like we're some sort of benign, magnanimous kind of Benetton commercial kind of sensibility. We're not. We're as rapacious and economy driven as any other country on earth.
6: That's me. Geopolitical Darwinism as given to you by Paul Dudridge. Paul Dodridge, thank you for coming onto the stage. I knew we'd disagree about something eventually, and I violently disagree with you, sir, but I appreciate you coming onto the stage. We have now Hanson. Hanson, first off, we're just qualifying here. First off, what country are you sat in, Hanson, and are you a Commonwealth citizen?
13: No, I'm an American, your first cousin.
6: <laughs> <laughs> all right Anson, What what is your point sir I like that
13: so yeah I, I think Commonwealth is a fantastic institution and organization I don't see an expiration date on it yet yes
6: all right very quickly then we're going to come to uh, Giacomo tell us why you don't see an expiration date on the Commonwealth and are you now of the mind Hanson that those 13 colonies all should leave the United States and sign up for the commonwealth tomorrow
13: 13 colony i'm um, i um, didn't get that part 13 what sorry
6: uh, the the original 13 colonies that broke away to form the oh, united states should, I, i'm should. being silly it's okay. the stripes on your flag the stripes so, on your flag of course
13: yes of course yes 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 your question is whether they should have left the uh,
6: okay your, i suppose uh, i suppose the question is why don't you see that there is an expiration date on on the commonwealth
13: I think it has proved its vibrancy and longevity through all the uh, prosperities of all the, of all the family members the, within the, the Commonwealth. And, of course, the uh, United States. United States is not part of it, but yet it has inherited the, the, the spirit, uh, especially the Nakata. The United States Constitution is a natural outgrowth or extension of the Magna Carta. And I think that's, that is the, the, the life, lifeline, bloodline of uh, all the prosperity within Commonwealth, within the Commonwealth. And then also just as I think B mentioned, you can see the difference between a stark difference, the, of uh, before and after. The Hong Kong cessation, or not cessation? Sorry, the the departure from the uh, Commonwealth. So that one example is, is is sufficient to prove the uh, the uh, let's say the root of all the prosperity, which mm. is which is the, this organization.
6: Uh, Well, there is is something in it in terms of signing up to the Commonwealth. If we look at the countries who are amongst the highest performing of the Ibrahim Index of African Governance, seven out of the top 10 are Commonwealth nations. If we to take, if we to look at, again, in sub-Saharan Africa, I'm just using these as, there's a whole, Load of data and stats here. But if you look at the Commonwealth countries in sub Saharan Africa, seven of the top 10 are the highest performing countries in terms of gender equality. That's not to say that they don't have a way to go, but by lots of many metrics and indices, a lot of those Commonwealth countries do much better than their non Commonwealth neighbors. I
9: I wanted to remind everyone that in the beginning of the 20th century, one-fourth of the globe, 25% of the globe across all continents hoisted the Union Jack, okay? and I mean,
6: um, had it hoisted had it upon them, you mean? Yes, yes, yes,
9: yes. The Union okay. Jack floated in 25% of the globe, whether we, for good or bad, whether we want to recognize it or not, it's a fact, okay? And that is a legacy that is a common heritage and you cannot erase a common legacy a common culture common you have to look at all the good that came out of it and unfortunately as a few of you mentioned during the years that great britain was part of the european union the commonwealth organization was an association was neglected and now that britain is britain again i think that uh, that relationship should be explored to its fullest extent. And no, the uh, colonialism of past years is gone. I mean, look at India today, my God, 1.2 billion people. Look at Nigeria, one of the most powerful countries in on the African continent, a major, major petroleum exporter and so on and so forth. They they will have no inferiority complex when they are sitting at a table with the representative of Great Britain, uh, it can be used to everyone's advantage. And slowly, slowly, the domination of Great Britain on the Commonwealth Group of Nations is waning. And my friends, I was in Hong Kong first in 1987, 88, 89. And I was there still in 96. And I remember at the time, one of the main tasks of Great Britain was to Give back Hong Kong and make sure not to act as a former colonial master and disappear as quietly and with as dignified a manner as possible because China was a huge rising power. And the last thing that Great Britain wanted to do was to appear as a former arrogant colonial master. That's why it's sent there to the lowering of the flag and everything, Prince Charles. And I remember at the time he played that role beautifully. That's all I have to say for now.
6: Thank you. Thank you for that, Giacomo. Now, you did say you wanted to jump in, but let's just welcome new people onto the stage, Bijan, and then we're going to go to you. So, Bijan, welcome. I'm going to ask you the question which I've asked new arrival to the stage. Do you hold a Commonwealth passport or are you sat in a Commonwealth country?
2: Hi, everyone. Well, I hold a British passport, although I feel a world citizen. If that makes me welcome to this room, then I can carry on.
6: Everybody's welcome, sir. It's just uh, just a way of qualifying people's insight when it comes to the Commonwealth. But a global citizen most definitely can and is welcome in in this room. So, far away, what's your point, BJ?
2: Well, when you're talking about, I mean, your title, your really the this title of if the Commonwealth is still, you know, relevant. It doesn't look so. I mean, we are born free. And having, you know, on your flag, although I'm not for flags and symbols, having the flag of someone else just in the corner, it reminds those years of colonialism. And it's not changing. I mean, if India wants to have a relation with Kenya or Nigeria, They are independent nations, they can do it without a middleman. With all respect
6: to the royal family, the queen, wonderful lady. But Bijan, Bijan, but they do, they absolutely do. If India wants to have a bilateral trade agreement with Kenya, and Kenya says we'd like to have one in India, they don't refer to Buckingham Palace or to the British government, they get on and do it. The point is though, that because every two years, their governments sit down next to each other and they loosely coordinate on other matters like civil governance. The the Commonwealth has seen 140 elections since 1970. This fosters familiarity, but the British royal family or the British government is not mediating between, let's say, a trade deal between India and Kenya. But you know what? That trade deal will be written in English. There's going to be certain terms, uh, judicial terms, which are inherent in both countries. So they're kind of speaking not only the same language, but the same business language. That's the point. Well, you see, those
2: words that you just said, with all respect to the judicial terms, are on the colonial basis of another country, and it's going to be British. How do you explain that a country who cannot unite with its neighbor, and it has done that self-harm of Brexit, who wanted to become, you know, a second Singapore of Europe, and, you know, make Britain greater and take control, is now a mess. With all respect, i suffer suffered
7: to see. It's sorry. How can, sorry. How can how can in- how can the UK export the idea of being a loose association of sovereign nations because it is now leaving something that isn't a loose association of sovereign nations? It's exactly. That's <laughs> exactly what it's done. That it can actually hold its head up high in the Commonwealth, other sovereign nations not becoming one supranationally controlled superstate. That's the whole point. Super state? I mean, do you see
2: a world
7: of today with a super state? I mean, the uh, EU what capital. do you mean the it? minute the EU the Commonwealth countries cannot, just because they're a member of the Commonwealth, they can't go and live and have rights of residencies in each other's countries. Every member of the EU can. That's a supranational government. That's a document that says you're part of one country. The, no Paul, that Commonwealth is, that is, uh, is that... Commonwealth is not. That is common sense. That is not commonwealth.
2: You know, 27 countries in Europe, they have given a chance to the new generation and to the people now that to move around, to live there freely, to work there without any paperwork, without any bureaucracy.
7: Look what happened this summer, just for the. Yes, travelers. and it's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. That's what I'm saying. Yes, they've turned into one amount. All
1: right, all right. There one
6: thing. That right. Don't one second, about a Giacomo, Union. Giacomo, yeah. Giacomo. Everybody, one second, one second. Bijan, it is actually incorrect to say that you can any eu citizen can move to any eu country with no paperwork for for a start off yes you are free to move but if you move to belgium You have to submit to the local police station that you've moved there from what country and you need to show paperwork. You have the right to move there. Do not get me wrong, but it's wrong to say you can move without any paperwork because Belgium will kick you out straight away. Anyway, on that point, Bijan, American common law is derived from English common law. Are you then saying? Right. To to your point that this is a colonial legacy that when America enters into, let's say, a trade agreement with, I don't know, St. Kitts in the West Indies, that the very fact that both parties are speaking English and both documents will kind of roughly measure up to each other because they're written with the same kind of common law, business law, etc. This is a colonial legacy and it needs to be thrown out.
2: Not about throwing out, but I you remember Australia, I don't know which was the year, they made a referendum just to kick
6: the Commonwealth out to get No, no, no. It wasn't a referendum about the Commonwealth. It was a referendum about the monarchy of which because the Republican side was divided in terms of the system of governance would there be a direct election to the President or the President be elected from from Parliament that the Republican side lost because they couldn't actually get their act together as to how they'd actually replace the the British, the, the head of state who's also the British head of state. But the one thing about this conversation, I don't just mean with you, Bijan, but I want to say with, with a lot of people, which is a little bit dispiriting, that we're focusing so much on Britain here. And we kind of seem to be ignoring, though BN did, that there are 53 other countries who are free to leave this association that don't, and more countries want to join. So I take the the lessons about British imperialism as somebody who has an English surname even though my ancestors were slaves British imperialism is in my name my surname should not be brown it should be an African one so I take all of those points but still we have a free association of countries and the list is growing. The question should be why, and they all can't be signing up to be part of a British imperialistic club. Piotr, go for it, the floor is yours, sir. Thanks, oh my
5: God, I'm gonna start banging my head against the wall if I hear any other statements made in a minute. The, the Commonwealth is a political association of number one. The EU is a supranational organization made up of sovereign states, which combine elements of fiscal, monetary, political, and economic policy. So they are not the same and we should not be comparing them together, as was attempted to be made. The uh, a statement that you can move freely beyond the EU with any paperwork. I mean, no, that's not true. You need documentation. Once you're in the Schengen era, then you can move freely within the Schengen era, but you need a certain visa as Lovely Brexit has made I now have to get a visa every time I want to go to the European Union and because some people in the country decided yes let's leave the EU I now can't live and work there so thank you very much but aside from that the commonwealth is something that whether or not you like it is going to still be grounded in the former past of colonialism we can move past that and we should these points that have been made in the comment section by others about you know com- communism being bad and everything that has come to pass about it and you know the roman empire and all this sort of stuff yeah everybody's done bad shit and we need to move you know we need to focus on trying to well build the commonwealth up into something better i'm on board with paul's Realpolitik approach to a point which is that yes we are pretty self-interested and what are we driven by we are driven by our own vested interests first and foremost realism continues to be the dominant theory in international relations for a reason and any idealist any liberalist who says that you know the idea of international cooperation is brilliant and amazing sure yeah in theory it is but in reality What happens when push comes to shove? We see realism coming back with a vengeance, and that is the case with the Commonwealth. In its purest form, it's trying to be altruistic, it's trying to be liberalist and say, we can bring countries together to work together and move on from the dark past that it is originated from. But in reality as well, it's an economic benefit for a lot of the countries and particularly the United Kingdom. So the UK is still, whether or not there is a new head of state who then is the head of the Commonwealth, that could be an interesting way to diversify the power structure, but you're not going to be able to disassociate the fact that this thing is born and bred from the original British Empire. And I think, just on a side note, Brexit was a fucking terrible idea because we've lost an economic market of about 500 million people. And the UK was not actually in the UK's, in the EU system as the Leave campaign tried to perceive it. It was all smoke and mirrors, all bollocks. And the UK, as because of it, has now probably lost about eight to 10% worth of growth over the next 10 to 15 years, we've already seen a one and a half percent reduction in the past year and a half, and that's not even taking into account COVID. So no, leaving was a terrible idea. We should have stayed in the system and improved it from within. And any financially responsible nations like, say, Greece or the pigs, as they were (laughs) frankly unpleasantly known, weren't going to affect the UK economy because they don't have the same currency. The euro crisis was bad for the British economy in an aggregate sense, but specifically from a fiscal and monetary aspect,
6: the Mr. UK K. got
5: off relatively well. Anyway, I
6: aside, love I love the world fact, world fact world. that we've had there this we level of passion about the Commonwealth, utterly utterly love that what we, what i am going to do now though and i haven't said this at all i've been so engrossed with, with this whole conversation is actually remind people this is actually recording of the podcast mid-atlantic where we look at the news and the views from one atlantic from the perspective of the other at least that's what we do normally so on that note what i'm going to do please indulge me everybody I'm going to play one last clip and then I'm going to wrap up the recording of the podcast. However, I'll still keep this room going for about another 10 to 15 minutes. So after Piotr Curzon's impassioned screed against uh, Brexit, we go to this clip.
7: It's time now for the 2022 Commonwealth Games opening ceremony here at the Alexander Stadium in Birmingham. Let's hand you over to Hazel Irvin and Andrew Cotter.
4: Now, this is the way to arrive in the stadium. A rich history of car manufacturing in the Midlands.
2: The Prince of Wales and the Duchess of Cornwall to represent Her Majesty the Queen tonight. Now time to meet Stella and the Dreamers.
6: And they're going to meet some of the key figures
3: from Rum's history. Worcester's dear, Edward Elgar, dreamed the music of
1: our nation. We'll talk about the Midlands' claim to Charlie Chaplin.
3: Samuel Johnson, eight years to compile 40,000 words for his
12: dictionary. When I first came to this city,
10: I had never heard its name, but I would come to understand it through the doctors and nurses at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital. It is my honor to say, Welcome to Birmingham.
6: Welcome to Birmingham. The Birmingham has, has played host to. 2.5 billion people in effect with its hosting of the Commonwealth Games. And I suppose on a day-to-day basis, this is the one legacy that comes redolent in the afterglow of Empire. It is the Commonwealth Games. It used to be called the Friendly Games, which happens once every four years. It travels all around the world, just like host cities that host the Olympics do. But it travels around the world, but specifically and only to Commonwealth countries. I must admit, as, as a a child of empire, somebody comes wrapped up in black skin who has an English surname, the Commonwealth does mean something to me and something which, yes, is dripped in blood of the past and the sweat of, let's say, my ancestors, but many other nations. But also, I think there is a potential f- for, for the future where countries can meet each other as equals but have a loose familial association one of the clips which we had which is from 1949 did talk about a family of nations and whether it's nations that play sport together cricket or rugby or nations who happen to speak the same language they, there is something almost intangible but then it's made tangible by those activities which binds them together. So, as somebody who is a product of the British Empire, my parents left their home country of Jamaica to go to the motherland, as they saw it in the the 1960s, to go to England to go and work, and to help build the economy of that. I hope that there is a future, a real warm future, for, for the Commonwealth. And I think it's incredibly fitting that my home city of Birmingham has put on a wonderful display to open the Commonwealth Games because if ever there is a city in the United Kingdom which is a Commonwealth city, it is actually Birmingham. The population of Birmingham is majority-minority, which means that over 50% of the inhabitants of Birmingham are not white it's made up by people from the indian subcontinent from south asia from from hong kong from the west indies and from africa but also from from bits of the eu there there are lots of bulgarians and polish people that live in birmingham and birmingham is a crazily diverse place and and because of that it's actually a, a very young city and a city with lots of boundless energy and yes we should always look back for the lessons of the past, but also we should look forward with hope and with optimism. So I say, I hope that there is a future for the Commonwealth, that it's going to be relevant not only for, for Britain, but still it's going to be relevant for the country of my parents' birth, Jamaica or Nigeria or for Malaysia or for Guyana. That there's got to be a reason that they all are part of this association and then get something for, from it. So on that note, I would like to say, David Crowther, what's the name of your podcast, David? So just so if people want to check it out. It's the History of England. Piotr Curzon, it's always great to have you on stage and, and it's great when you get impassioned. Where can people catch up with you online?
5: Well, you can find me on my Twitter. It's P K. You are ZIN. I hold spaces and I'm quite active on there now. But you also have my podcast, which I only launched last what two months ago because of the thick rep room in Ukraine. That's called the Global Gambit, and you can find any 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 directory. We do have a guest coming on next week, actually, in the form of Francis Fukuyama. To the end. Of oh, the wow. Right so, oh wow! Oh wow!
6: I look forward to that one with hopefully you as president, Roy Oh, uh, listen, I'm a big fan, Cheryl. Thank you for joining us. It was great to have somebody from Malaysia, BN. We thank you for reminding us about the legacy of Hong Kong. Hanson, you gave gave us great. Besides, don't forget, people. Left to center politics is right thinking politics. We don't demonize our right leaning brothers and sisters. We try and win them over the strength of our argument. Mid Atlantic is an inclusive place. Take care, look after yourselves. Bye-bye.